Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by author Cynthia. I didn't ask, is it Palayo? Palayo. Palayo. Sorry. And today I'm joined by author Cynthia Palayo to talk about a topic that's been requested for a long time, horror poetry. So thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. Um... And uh, it's exciting. Any time we get to talk about horror, anything is an exciting time. So it's it's literally why I started this podcast. (laughs) I'm like, I just I have no one in my real life to talk to about this stuff. So this is my excuse to just geek out about it. My husband does not like talking about horror. Like he will help me with horror things, but um, he doesn't like watching like horror movies or once I start talking about like plots about horror, he starts freaking out and panicking. He's like, this is too much for me. I gotta go. My husband's the same way. He's like, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So what made you decide to pick this topic? Um, horror poetry. I mean, I think that you maybe like I started writing fiction, um, maybe back like 10 years ago and beforehand, I was a journalist. Um, I've always had a, 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 a full-time job in like research and that's what I do by day. Um, but I was always a freelance journalist. My undergrad was uh, in journalism. And, but I always wanted to kind of do more creative writing. And so years ago when I was started writing fiction and writing horror, I became exposed to some horror poetry. Um, and, I, you know, I think a lot of us have read The Raven by Poe or like The Bells by Poe. And maybe we're exposed to that in middle school. I think it's usually about the, the time that we're exposed to that. But beyond that, I don't think that we have much exposure to horror poetry. And I think it's really beautiful. And back then, there wasn't a lot of horror poets. And I hate to say that, but at least... I couldn't find a lot of horror poets. Um, and then I discovered Stephanie Wojtovich's poetry and I absolutely became like completely obsessed with her and her work because not only is her writing completely exquisite and just moving, but she's also a wonderful person. And so there's, it's almost, and I've, I've slowly been noticing that horror poets are just these very lovely people that write about these awful things but the just the way they write these poems with such detail and texture and beauty it's I mean um not only is the person like fantastic but just what they do is wonderful so I think um and it's definitely something that we're starting to see more of I know um and I hate that I don't know the name but I know Raw Dog Screaming Press just announced another poetry collection um, in their portfolio that's going to be published soon. So there's starting to be so much horror poetry that's accessible. And I think it's a type of poetry that is very accessible, especially for, I think horror consumers of the horror genre may be hesitant to read horror poetry, but I think it's pretty accessible and it's delightful and it's short and it's, and it gives you a lot to think about. So I agree. I was going to say, I think 
coming into it as someone who didn't read a lot of poetry outside of horror poetry I think it can seem a little intimidating like I feel like it's one of those genres that people like I know I felt like oh I just don't know how to appreciate it like how am I going to know what a good poem is but there was something about reading these books where I'm like wow that word choice was amazing and somehow they were able to convey this feeling in like four words how do you do that Right. And so I think that's just what's so, and maybe, I don't know, maybe a lot of people are traumatized from high school literature. (laughs) This is where you have to kind of go through and dissect like the structure of a poem or different poems and then be able to like point at this point. And I, I, I mean, I went to high school like over 20 years ago. I don't know how poetry is taught today, but I really didn't start, um, I wrote, of course, I wrote morose, depressed teen poetry in high school. I think a lot of us did. Um, but I didn't really start writing horror poetry until um, my grad degree and my MFA. Um, and so maybe, I don't know how it's taught today, but at least, like, my MFA was a very, like, artsy school, a very artsy place where they allowed full experimentation and so maybe having that flexibility to create with form and just having a a lot of different writers to turn to and then the indie writer community and I will always just champion I'm an indie writer of course I'm going to champion indie writers but just the what they do I feel like there's a lot more flexibility and experimentation that makes it really exciting for people to consume Yeah, because I think, I mean, this is a genre I don't know that people outside of the horror community knows exists. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I mean, that's a common comment that I see, like, in reviews, like, to not just my poetry, but other, like, colleagues of mine who are poets. Like, I'll, you know, I always like to kind of go through and see what people are saying about, you know, other people's collections. And I always see that reoccurring comment. I didn't know horror poetry was a thing. And so I think what makes it, as everything, I think just open to interpretation, but I think what makes it, what makes something horror poetry to me is something, it's similar to what makes anything um, horror within like literature. It's like dark themes, Um, you know, we could, writing about the supernatural, writing about monsters. I recently wrote um, a collection on true crime. I, I called it a true crime poetry collection and in an interview with the horror writers association they asked me well do you think it's horror or do you think it's true crime and i said well i think true crime is inherently horror it's very inherently horrific um you can look at like jack ketchum's the girl next door that while that was a fiction novel it was loosely based off of a true crime case so um my collection was true crime and hard because I wrote about true cases. So, um, so I think that the themes that you see in horror poetry are going to be the very similar themes that you see in horror fiction. I'm really excited to see like where the genre is going to be or the category is going to be in the next five years because you have people like, I mean, Stephanie is Whitehovich has written. Um, anything from like erotic horror poetry to like body horror poetry to things that are very like 
um, oh gosh, and she has that other demon one. She has like, she just has like this amazing, if you, you know, if you really want to see the range of horror poetry, I think my, you know, I would always recommend Stephanie because there's like a range. She has um, a range of categories. And then, you know, people like Sarah Tatlinger, her research comes through in each of her poems. You know that each poem that you're going to sit down and write, there was it was researched and researched intensely and like you said like how does somebody convey so so much in like four words i feel like sarah can do that like she just has these lines that like blow me away and then um with jessica McHugh's recent collection if you're a visual person i mean what she did there that was amazing where she just kind of went through and did blackout poetry but without the traditional like black marker she had like these be- they're all like individual art pieces so there's you get what you get in horror fiction but there's so much experimentation and it's fun and you don't just have to sit down and read it all at one sitting or you can read like one and come back to it later yeah there's definitely a big variety uh, I did want to talk about your collection into the forest and all the way down I read it and I absolutely loved it um And I mean, it's come up a lot in the podcast, kind of the ethical consumption of true crime. But I felt like your collection just really took its time to like honor the victims. And can you tell our readers about your collection? Just because I loved it. It would have been one of my picks if you weren't the guest. (laughs) Um, So this collection, um, I agree with you 1000% that I feel... I recently did, actually a few, like before we went in lockdown, like it was a couple, uh, uh, before all of COVID hit, I had done a presentation here in Chicago on true our society's obsession with true crime. And I posed these questions to the audience of like, how ethical is it when you have true crime, anything from true crime podcasts, which I consume obsessively, to true crime conventions and true crime cruises. And what is the line of exploitation? And so that kind of all helped me explore this collection into the forest and all the way through. It's a... Sorry, I said it wrong. Oh, it's okay. It's it's okay. Um, I'm half asleep too. So um, it's a collection of 106 poems that covers, I believe, over 109 cases of missing and murdered women in the United States. And I wanted to do something. I just felt like if I had sat down and done a nonfiction book, it would have been like this intense tome. Or I couldn't put myself to do a fiction book about these cases. I just wanted to do something where I kind of stripped things back and forced the reader to acknowledge what was horrible about each and every one of these cases. I feel like we're so detached from some of these cases when you're watching like, I don't know, Dateline and it's, and it almost becomes like, it, it's, it becomes, enter, it's entertainment. And so I wanted to do something that was pretty horrific that put you in the position of the victim or put you in the position of the detective. And so each of the poems all the 106 poems have a different voice 
and I've researched each of them pretty intensely, which, you know, going through FBI, the FBI websites, going through national missing persons databases, going through local, um, local news pages and sifting through the details of the crime. And so each of them were pretty, I think, explicit and um, just the terror of what happened to these women. And for many of these women, the ones that are missing, we don't know where they're at. Like, yeah, there's yeah. one, um, there was one that one poem, I think it was like 40 words where it was a young woman who had gotten off the bus was, was texting the person whose house she was going to. She was half a block away. And within that space of a half a block, she disappeared and has never been seen again. And so that's, that's horror to me. That's horror that somebody can completely disappear doing something that we all do, going to the grocery store, um, a, a mother at the playground with her child, and she turns around for a second and her child is gone. And so um, each of the poems is dedicated to an individual. Some of them are dedicated to multiple individuals because it could have been like a mother and her daughter or her children that had gone missing at the same time. And each poem ends with um, uh, some detail uh, because I thought that was important too. I didn't want, I felt like if I didn't include their name, there would have been a detachment and it would have been consumed as just general entertainment. And so I wanted the reader to see here's the name, here's where they were missing from, their race. And I thought the race was important mostly because um, equal weight isn't typically given to women of color in media. Uh, I know we had, we have a, uh, I live in Chicago and they're right outside the city. There was a pretty gruesome uh, case of a woman that was murdered. And she was hiking at the forest preserve with her mother and a friend Sorry, I'm just moving my coffee. Uh, she was hiking at the forest preserve with her mother and her friend, and she was tired. She didn't want to finish the hike, and so she turned right back around to go to their, her car just to wait for them. And within that space, she was abducted, tortured, and killed. And it's like that's a perfect example of these cases that it's just within minutes, within seconds, that someone's life can change. And so her case is not receiving really any media attention like compared to uh, let's say like the Delphi murder cases uh, where two teenagers were killed off a hiking trail in Indiana like that case became um, you know received like you know na nationwide attention but this case hasn't um, received any so that's why I included race um, in there I also included the the year that they went missing um, and an investigating agency phone number for if anybody has details. I mean, I don't, I, I think I've only told this to one other person, but we have, we have a um, family member that was a twin that was kidnapped in the seventies and was never recovered. And so I think that including the year was important so that you can see Sometimes these people have been gone longer, double the amount of time that they were even with us. And that's that's tragic. And so it's a little bit about the collection. It's very difficult, I understand, to consume. Um, it's not the type of poetry I think that somebody 
would want to sit down and that's I mean that's beautiful and lush and it's going to make you feel good so I do caution people when they're approaching it um, I think I tried to caution the reader right at the beginning which I, I provided a, a letter um, to the readers so that they knew what to expect it's definitely a lot of emotions that you're going to experience but it's just crazy. And you really did take the time to research all of these cases. And a lot of them are from different points of views and the people that miss them. And I just absolutely loved it. Thank you. Um, I mean, it's I, I still think about I still think about it so much. I always feel like, did I do enough? Um, and my husband's like, you're a writer, you're not a detective. Um, but I really felt Gosh, there was one that I wrote about a detective uh, from the detective's perspective, how he was just obsessed with this case and he's retired. And people from the town who remember the case are in their 80s and 90s and this case still hasn't been solved. And so I just think about that. that I think that's so tragic that there are these people that have just completely disappeared and they were loved here and they were they've lost a complete, they've lost their life for what? So, so yes, enter the forest and all the way through. That's um, something that people are interested in um, diving into. It's true crime, poetry, horror. Definitely should take their time through it. Uh, You also announced uh, you have children of Chicago coming out in February of next year, right? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I've been busy. So. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of stuff. Yeah. Children of Chicago is a fairy tale retelling of the Pied Piper fairy tale based in modern day Chicago. It's um, it's like a genre blend. So it's horror, mystery, thriller, and uh, you know a dash of a police procedural. So it is has intense research i researched probably as much as i could imagine as much as i researched for you know into the forest that level of research went into children of chicago um researching the grimm's fairy tales how the brothers compiled that collection of um oral folklore and what is it and what do these fairy tales mean i mean there's so many awful <laughs> fairy tales that um and I studied I studied the Grimm's fairy tales pretty intensely in my MFA and so I just always thought that it was something I wanted to explore further and I thought Chicago given its crime um the crime that we see with children um I thought that would be a good tool to explore that with a fairy tale um how children in chicago have gone missing how children in chicago inflict violence upon other children which is tragic that children are killing children in the city and so that is coming out in this february so just in a few months and it's all um you follow a detective along who is trying to solve these crimes that are very eerily similar to uh, the murder of her own sister. And so if you like fairy tales, if you like detective stories and mysteries, I am very excited that this is out. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun to write. That sounds really good. I am excited for that one. 
Yeah, that one is, uh, I mean, just when I got the advanced reader copy yesterday, I, it's just like all these emotions because, you know, you work so hard on something and then to finally see it. And what is, what's, uh, I guess, intense about writing a book is that, you know, once it's done and it's out there in the world, in a way it's no longer yours because the story then becomes your story. And then another reader may take away from it something completely different. So it becomes, I forgot what quote there is, like every book is a million stories because the people who read it, they all come to it differently. So then I had this moment of panic, like, oh my God, it's done. So I can't, I don't control it anymore. It's going to be in the, the hands of the readers. So I'm freaking out a little bit. <laughs> so It's going to become a million stories. <laughs> it's going to become a million stories. So that's, it's a Chicago fairy tale. I live in, I live in inner city Chicago. I probably, you know, um, takes me like a few minutes to get downtown from where I live. I grew up with a lot of, I mean, a lot of the crimes in the book are a lot of the things that I saw. Um, inner city um, gun violence. I have friends who were killed. Um by gun violence. I have friends who were paralyzed. I have a middle school friend who was serving life in prison for murder. And so it's a beautiful city, but it's a very hard city because um, poverty is a very real thing and the stresses and the traumas of poverty. Um, I felt that it was very important for me personally to stay living in the same community that raised me so that people could see you can go to college, you can become an artist, you can be a success and still live here. And so I felt it was important to stay here and contribute. And the neighborhoods changed. I mean, um, gentrification is all around me. And so it's, it's strange sometimes to look around my neighborhood and see this isn't the neighborhood I grew up in. It was much scarier. And there are parts of Chicago that were much scarier, but it's, you know, um, stories change, right? And so I think Chicago has changed a, a lot, um, but I'm still here. So, so yeah, so it's uh, Children of Chicago. It's I think it's a little bit of, um, uh, it's a little bit of me. I, I, I guess a lot, of, a lot of me, all those characters represent me somehow because of all the things that I've seen, so. Oh, that's cool. I like that you stayed in your community. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, I think that people have made an effort to be outside and protect one another, and we check in on each other, and we go to the park, which, uh, you know, the park right over um, close to where I live, and we clean the park up together, and so I think that that sense of community has been very important in recent years, and I think that's definitely driven down um, crime in many neighborhoods, including my own, where people mm-hmm. feel comfortable. Um, you know, of course, Chicago's always in the news as this big, bad, scary place. And it is true that much of the crime here is isolated to um, drug and gang violence. But, the, you know, it's tragic when that kind of seeps out into people who weren't involved in those uh, disputes and innocent people are hurt. So... Um, you know, I have a lot of family members and friends who are in law enforcement. So, um, 
they were they were great contributors of you know me asking questions of how things have evolved in the city over time but i love chicago it is not as scary as everyone thinks there are scary parts uh undoubtedly so yeah. are we ready to talk about some poetry collections yes let's talk about some poetry collections okay. and then we usually do this like i'll talk about one and then you can talk about your pick we'll just kind of go back and forth okay great um, so the first book I wanted to talk about is Claire C. Holland's I Am Not Your Final Girl. And this is a collection of poems inspired by women in different horror movies. It's a very feminist collection, kind of giving power back to the women in these narratives. These aren't all like the classic example of a, a slasher final girl, but sometimes they are kind of like a background female character in a story and we're kind of getting her perspective or what her thoughts probably were around the (laughs) plot of the movie um i love this collection this was actually the first horror poetry collection that i ever picked up and i just love it i love i um Claire was kind enough to send me a copy and I love revisiting it like every time I watch a new movie and I have more context for that particular poem um so I wanted to read just the first one just to give like a little bit of the first one not even the whole poem but it's called Rosemary from Rosemary's Baby it always begins with the good intentions of men her body on the deck of a ship inert and shining the way he carried her down the hall, like a child, like a duffel bag. The promises he made when he put her to bed. This is for us, he probably said. I love that collection. I yeah. absolutely, it's just so great. And I think um, I, any of these, I think, can be recommended as an intro to horror poetry. But that one is so so great because if you've watched horror movies, I'm sure you've watched a lot of these. And so that's a kind of fun introduction to um, horror poetry. Yeah, I agree. So if someone is looking for, yeah, like a, a good intro, I would suggest this. Like you said, especially if you have seen some of these horror movies, you kind of have something to relate to. Um, I don't think we're going to do like freezer scariness ratings for these poetry collections saying that's a little hard to do for something that's not just one story (laughs) um but i do recommend picking this up this is i am not your final girl by claire c holland fantastic so am i am i up next (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right so um, my first pick is going to be Stephanie Wojtovich's An Exorcism of Angels. Um, and I'll just read a little bit of the description because it's such a beautiful collection. When did she, when was this published? It was in 2015, I believe. So love is an exorcism of angels. Heaven and hell are not places nor times, but rather shared experiences. It's a love, whether dark or light a passion whether of pleasure or pain and there's a beauty to the ugliness a smile hidden amongst the tears and do i have an example this is i mean i am always going to be such a huge fan of stephanie Wojtovich's poetry especially this collection i felt drawn to it because like in description it's very you, you feel that 
pleasure, but then you feel that pain, and there's this light and this darkness. Um, I wanted to read this one line from the poem, the title poem, An Exorcism of Angels. He was the moon and pulled me towards him in the night. I couldn't refuse him as our darkness and light fell into each other like constellations in a winter storm, turbulent but beautiful, destructive but in happy madness. It's absolutely beautiful. And I think all of her, all of the poems in this collection are just beautifully textured. And if you wanted to read about light and darkness, I think this is a great um great collection so yeah I have heard so much about her and do you think I should start there with her work I think that's a great starting point yeah because it's such a it's so beautiful and um yeah I, I would say try, definitely start there I really enjoyed that one quite a bit awesome and what was that collection called again an exorcism of angels awesome published in 2015 so my next peg, I think we mentioned a little bit earlier, is A Complex Accident of Life by Jessica McHugh. And this is blackout poetry with pages from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And as you were talking about earlier, it is like both a poetry collection, but because it's blackout poetry, there's also this visual aspect where she's like scanned in the pages that she basically did this visual form of art where she's blacked out all the words and then you know the words that are left over create this poetry and it's just like this double dose (laughs) of art on every page because each page is just so like beautiful with all like the the words missing and then the poem itself is like typed out on the bottom so it's easier for you to read it as one whole poem rather than like squinting to see sometimes but I just loved this um for the poems themselves but also for the visual piece of art that we got to have on every page and I think this came out this year I say that's this one is a great gift because it's just mm-hmm. so beautiful if you're looking for I mean the holidays are here this one I think your art lover poetry lover fiction lover I think this one is just so beautiful and the cover is like oh yeah exquisite and I believe it's the cover was scanned from a uh, an antique version of uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So this is just, it was, it's just, there's so much, there was so much thought into the visual aspect of it. It's so beautiful. And I cannot imagine how long it took Jessica McHugh to just delicately like, you know, color in all of those, the the, the spaces. And I, I, I wonder like, how did she pick like what words like did she, I really I need to ask her like how did you know like did you <laughs> did you kind of did you play with it or yeah it's 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 a really just great collection so agreed and it is and it's like chronological like with the pages so like the first poem is like the intro page and then the last poem is like right before it's like the last page of Frankenstein so it's also like this chronological look at it it's just so good <laughs> so much talent like I look at it and I'm like how how does a person <laughs> That's a, a great gift. People pick it up for yourselves, and it's beautiful. Yes. So that was A Complex Accident of Life by Jessica McHugh. So my next one. 
I had it pulled up and then I didn't pull it. I must have closed the page. No, I didn't. Okay, so my next one, I am not finished with it yet. Um, it is Sarah Tatlinger's Cradle Land of Parasites. And I don't know how she had the perfect timing <laughs> um, or the foresight that this poetry collection is all based on the plague, the Black Death. So each of the poems are just explorations into the Black Death, um, the ships that were involved in bringing the, the sickness um, or passing the sickness around, um, talking about, it's just, it's completely exquisite. I'm still going through it. Um, she, there was so much research in it. She like researched bacteria. She researched biological warfare, um, pandemics. Um, she also researched like medieval burial rituals. This is wow. And like if you, I don't have it with me, but it's downstairs. But the cover, um, uh, the cover is beautiful. It's like this black with this red text. And so I wanted to read like a few lines from the title poem because it's just so beautiful. Cradle land of parasites. You will walk in blood after the birth and the very violence of such a thing, how an origin shreds through membrane, how copper stains your lips and tongue will terrorize each atom in your body. That's, that's incredible. Like, wow. <laughs> her, I mean, I'm always just so impressed with, if there's poetry by Sarah, I know I'm getting it because you know, she really considers not just the word, but I, I'm convinced she, and many, and many poets do this too, they'll read their work out, out loud multiple times to see how it sounds. And I think that's very important in poetry because it's almost musical when you read it out loud. So it's, so her poems, um, poetry collection, Cradle Land of Parasites by Sarah Tatlinger, it just came out. And so it's all Black Death, Plague, Pandemic, Pandemic Poetry. So it's it's absolutely stunning. So Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I didn't know that's what it was about. Yeah, it's, I was like, how did you, like, <laughs> amazing timing. It's just, you know, and it's, and it's funny because the same thing happened with Paul Tremblay's Survivor song. Like, I was just going to say, I'm like, <laughs> these horror authors just knew. Yeah, they're psychic. They don't know it, but they're psychic. <laughs> um. Awesome. So my last pick is one that I am still working on. I have like a few poems left in it. It is Choking Back the Devil by Donna Lynch. And I was reading the Goodreads synopsis and I'm like, this Goodreads synopsis is poetry. So, just um, so it says, Choking Back the Devil is an invocation an ancient invitation that summons the darkness within and channels those lonely spirits looking for a host. It's a collection that lives in the realm of ghosts and family curses, witchcraft and urban legends. And if you're brave enough to peek behind the veil, the hauntings that permeate these pages will break seals and open doorways, cut throats and shatter mirrors. It's about the masks we wear and the reflections we choose not to look at. And what's most terrifying about the spells is these incantations 
these incantations show that we are possessed, that we are the possessed, that we are our greatest monster. And if we look out of the corner of our eyes, sometimes if we've damned ourselves enough, we can catch a glimpse of our own burnings, the monstrosities and mockeries we are to become. So cross yourselves and say your prayers, because in this world, you are the witch, the hunter, the girl, and the wolf. That's the synopsis. <laughs> Donna Lynch is absolutely amazing. I mean, it's her poetry is absolutely stunning. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like fangirling over all of these poets, but it's true. I, I cannot stress enough to anyone how fantastic these people are and like that's the synopsis can you imagine the poetry poetry is beautiful (laughs) it really is like I have highlighted that's why it's taken me so long because every single poem I'm like I'm highlighting this like I'm I'm keeping and like just one line I have here it's like when people die they feel like cold heavy meat even the ones you love like whoa (laughs) it's like and I think with horror and something like that, like with horror poetry, I think just some of these lines just kind of just take you aback and you just kind of sit back and just think about, you know, it's just yeah, to really ponder. So beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, I'm loving this collection. Uh, that was Choking Back the Devil by Donna Lynch. Fantastic. So my last pick is... How to Recognize a Demon Has Become Your Friend by Linda Addison. Um, if you have not read any horror poetry, you have to read Linda Addison's work. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit um, of the description, and I'll just read a couple lines from one of her poems. Who doesn't need to know how to recognize a demon has become your friend? From the first African-American to receive the HWA Bram Stoker Award, this collection of both horror and science fiction short stories and poetry reveals demons and the most likely people like a jealous ghost across the street or in unlikely places like the dimension shifting dreams of an American Indian. I mean, Linda Addison's work She's one of the poets, I mean, I need to take my time because I I don't want her poetry to end. <laughs> so I, I read her work so slowly just because it's so beautiful and it just has so much for me to think about. And it's just so intense sometimes. Um, so just a few lines. I'm going to kind of bounce around from this poem, um, from this collection. It's called Dust to Dust. My remains have been rudely thrust into the ground without a coffin. There is something unfinished about the whole thing. I wish I could remember dying. It's like heartbreaking. Um, And there was one other line I wanted to read. Just uh, this other line from this poem. Distant voices of pain cry and deep sadness there is some horror there i fear are they in hell i mean it's just um again this is uh how to recognize a demon has become your friend by linda addison and this one it took me a while just to go through it just because every time i would get to one of these like fantastic lines i would just be taken aback and just have to think about it it's so it's it was very emotional just some of the thoughts that she presented in this so 
And if you don't know Linda Addison as a person, she is the sweetest. I mean, all again, I cannot stress. I don't know what it is about horror poets. About horror poets, they're just these lovely people that write these awful things. <laughs> and these like, and maybe, maybe that's something to them that they can see the beauty and the pain in, in life. And so they're. I think they approach. Maybe it is that they approach life with just this. Um, intensity to appreciate everything because they know how delicate everything around them is I don't know but it's just there's just something about horror poets (laughs) that is funny I feel like often horror writers in general like just talking with them online like like, everyone here is so nice yeah it's funny Have, have you ever gone to StokerCon no, I want to. It's definitely on my list. That's always like the reoccurring comment throughout. Like when there are new people that attend the StokerCon, they're like, everybody here is like so nice. Like even these like the New York Times bestsellers and authors that have, you know, their books turned into feature films. They're just hanging out with everybody. It's just the nicest group of people. And even, you know, I've, I've heard people comment that aren't part of the convention that are just, like, at the hotel, like, they're horror writers. They're just, like, a bunch of, like, really sweet and kind people. And so, <laughs> and maybe that's something to say about just horror writers in general is that they recognize the delicate balance between life and death and how precious everything is. And maybe that's something, maybe that's what makes them special, that they know how to savor relationships and friendships and important moments um and you know you talk to non people who don't like horror they just cringe and think that we're like I don't know just these wicked people but I've never I've always been so surprised with the kindness in this community and how sweet everyone is and smart just talented so and supportive too so I agree. I mean, just like getting to talk to different authors. Everyone has been like so nice. That's awesome. That's really nice to hear. It's a nice community to be a part of, so for sure. All right. Wrapping up the episode, it is Books in the Freezer tradition to ask our guests about a chilling obsession. So this could be something you are enjoying in horror. It can be whatever book, movie, podcast, show. I'm going to say true crime. <laughs> um, it's always, I don't know, um, I'm really obsessed with um, Crime Junkie, the podcast Crime Junkie. Um, and again, I'm the same person that brings up these ethical questions. Is it okay to be consuming true crime? And so, I don't know, I think after writing the poetry collection, I bet I've still been obsessing over true crime. Um, but... Um, other like non-true crime things I've been reading I have a a seven-year-old and a three-year-old so I've been reading um a lot of middle grade horror which is really cute um and so I have some books that I've read recently um there's like this whole cute little series called Desmond Cole Ghost Patrol that I really love um the um the Teddies, is that the, is that the right title that just was published by um, Daniel Krauss? There's that looking for it. They Threw Us Away. The way, yes, They Threw Us Away. That is like, <laughs> my they made my son cry like within the first few pages. Aww. Like, we have to keep going. We got to see what happens to the Teddies. And so um, 
And of course, like we've slowly started going, getting into the Goosebumps series. And so oh, yeah. middle grade horror has been um, my next obsession because it's really cute and sweet. And if you have children, um, you know, Goosebumps are like a really fun place to start. Yeah. They are. I can't wait until like my son's old enough to <laughs> do some revisits and deep dives. I've actually like recently gotten into crime junkie there's like other podcasts supernatural um and so like I recently started listening to crime junkie and I am surprised at how much I love it because like the last episode was Fort Hood and like all the stuff that was going on there which I've been following yes and I really um I I really like the hosts and I think that's that's what makes it makes me enjoy it because they um you know they've both of them have they they're they're Midwestern up in the Midwest, so they, I I just think that they're very respectful um, in the way they they talk about these cases and their research is fantastic. Um, you know there are some true crime podcasts that are very lighthearted and I I just can't connect with I just it just seems like I can't take lightheartedness with this crime that committed. So but um, I really enjoy the hosts and the research. So. Like, crime junkie so and then on books in the freezer we have a new tradition which is asking our guests what their final girl song would be so we have a spotify playlist with all of our guests answers so what is your final girl song i'm gonna laugh so hard i know everybody's gonna laugh so hard so my final girl theme song is going to be dream warriors by Dokin. and i believe i'm saying their 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 <laughs> name correctly it's like the 80s metal band and it's like the the ending song from a nightmare on elm street three dream warriors so just <laughs> go for it which is perfect i feel like it brings the right energy and there's a videos online on YouTube. You can watch the videos. So it takes like clips from the movie. Um, and Freddie's like jamming out with <laughs> a metal band. So. That is awesome. I will for sure add that to the playlist when this episode comes out. Um, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Sina Palayo, um, on Instagram at Sina Palayo author and my website sinapalayo.com All right. I will add all your upcoming projects and projects that are out to the show notes for listeners to check out as well as all the poetry collections and books that we mentioned. But thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining me and talking to me about horror poetry. Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you again. Stop it. And-